Well, good morning, Heights family. Did y'all uh, did you enjoy the band today? That's yeah, pretty awesome, wasn't it? You know, it, it, it's hard to express just how much it means to me, even what it means to me, uh, to be ministering alongside them today. Because we're, we're a team today, right? Y- y'all got the first 30 minutes, I got the last 30 minutes, okay? We're, we're, we're a team. And you know, in this week, last week, vacation Bible school, this coming week, youth camp, the, the, the reason it's just so special to be up here ministering alongside with them to all of y'all is because... Every single person on this stage, except the, the drummer and, and the piano player, because they're, they're kind of new to our fellowship, but every single person on this stage, including the deacon who prayed for the offering, I saw every one of them walk into vacation Bible school when they were this tall. You know, when we pray about these weeks, obviously our focus is and should be on people's salvation, Right? These young people coming to Christ. But, but there are other things happening at youth camp. There are other things happening at Vacation Bible School. We're, we're kind of raising up the next generation of, of pastors and, and missionaries and worship leaders. And, and just to think, I saw every one of them as children. The other thing that makes me think is, oh my gosh, I'm getting old. And uh, as a matter of fact, I've had a couple of things this weekend to make me feel kind of old. Because I just got blessed with a second grandchild Friday night. Isn't that awesome? Little Rose, Little Rose is here. That's her, that's her name. And, and, uh, yesterday afternoon, Karen, Karen was already there, but yesterday afternoon I, I got to go down and, and see them and go to the hospital. And I actually picked up Karen and Walton and, and took them. And so I was there for the, the first time that, that Walton and Rose met. And they actually got on video when little Walton reaches over and gives her a little kiss on the forehead. Oh, isn't that special? And they're thinking, look, he's doing so well. And I'm thinking, having had four kids, you ain't know what you got till you take that thing home. And that's when Walton's going to show you what he thinks arose. Okay? <laughs> so we're, we're, ha- we're having a fun weekend in our family. Hey, we really did just come out of a tremendous week. Over 900 people here for Vacation Bible School. We had 35, at least 35. We're still working with some others, at least 35. Pray to receive Christ, and we trust you're going to be baptized here in the, in the real near future. As a matter of fact, I was talking to a family just a moment ago, and their, their little 10-year-old, I think he was about 10, came forward for, to be baptized and come to faith in Christ. And, and now the whole family is going to be getting baptized, all of them for the first time. And so, you know, again, those, those aren't vacation Bible school numbers, but boy, that shows you the impact that, that goes on from a week like that. This afternoon, many of them right over here, uh, we're going to be leaving with over 200 to 210, uh, some young people heading to youth camp at uh, William and Mary. We got a, a, a great week in front of us there, so I, I sure hope you'll be, be praying for that. And boy, you, you get a picture, you got a picture today of kind of a product of what comes out of a vacation Bible school, what comes out of a, a youth camp. So really exciting just to see all this, to think on all these things. Hey, today we're, we're going to talk about ideas. Ideas are important. I, I, ideas build on more ideas, build on more ideas. Ideas is how we think and how we create and how we rethink and how we recreate. You know, when we're doing all that thinking, creating, inventing, did you know we're really being a lot like God? I mean, think about the first time that we are introduced to God. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God 
Well, I was hoping for a little more confidence in what that word would be. One more time. Let's try that again. In the beginning, God created. We know that word. Say it like you mean it. There you go. Yeah, God's a creator. God, God created the, the sun and the moon and the stars. God, God put living beings in the land and the sky and the, and the seas. God created you and me. And he created us in his image. He put in us things that are very much like him. Well, what's God like? God's an, God's an inventor. God's an architect. God's an engineer. God is a poet and God is an artist. And when we're doing those things, being those things, we're, we're being very much like God. You know, when we, when we think about, hey, who's like God, we tend to think of moral qualities, don't we? But you can, you can kind of ask the question, who's being like God when they're creating, when they're inventing? What, what inventor was most like God? Boy, it's hard to nail it down to one inventor, right? I mean, anything an inventor does, he's, he's building on what comes before him. But there are inventors that stand out. They're like, there's that one guy, I don't think any of us know his name, but that caveman that gave us the wheel. I mean, we owe a lot to him, right? That was a good idea. You know, probably when we think of that inventions, we think Edison, right? Edison and the light bulb, or maybe Fleming and, and penicillin. Maybe we've all of humanity has just been waiting for Steve Jobs to be born. So he, so he could give us the iPhone. Man, there's so many profound creations, inventions out there. Hard to, hard to say this is one, but I, I'm going to. It's my opinion. It's right, but it is my opinion. There is one, there's actually two of them, so I should say plural. There are two great, the two greatest inventors in humanity, the Wright brothers, right? Yeah, you were on this, it's, it's the Wright brothers. And, and not just because they gave us flight. I mean, folks, when, 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 when they went to work, they actually kicked open the doors on the limitations of man. And yes, we build on their math and on their engineering. But when you look at what happened in the 1900s, which would arguably be the greatest, the most, and the fastest humanity ever created in a hundred-year time period, it, it, it's, it's Orville and Wilbur sitting at the front door of that, that that started that train for us, that started everything going so fast. I mean, you think that in, in 1903, we took our first flight, and it was measured in feet 852 feet and yet it would only take 66 years later before we flew to and back back is very important isn't it we flew to and back from the moon matter of fact friday we saw did y'all see we celebrate the anniversary of, of landing and walking on the moon was this past friday 49 years but man that they gave us that and it just seems like what every inventor did everywhere from that is just run wild because because ideas build on ideas build on more ideas give great opportunity ideas are always going to be so very important because they're the building blocks but not every idea is a good one, right? I mean, there was somebody else that had an idea in the 1900s. He had the idea that the Jews were the cause of all problems and that one race should dominate the world. And as a result of that idea, we had World War II and the Holocaust. Tens of millions of people died as a result of an idea. You know, unfortunately, sometimes hindsight is the only filter we have to what is a good idea and what is a bad idea. That's why I think it's so 
profound, so important, such a blessing that the follower of Christ, the believer, has another filter for ideas. Because you see, ideas aren't just building iPhones and, and planes and microwave ovens. Ideas are building lives. Your life is built on ideas. And every one of us deals with the reality. We've built on some good ideas and we've built on some bad ones, haven't we? But we've been given a filter for how we build in our life with these various ideas. Today we're, we're starting our eighth message. Hard to believe it's, we're already up to eight. Got three more to go if you're counting. Uh, but we're up to our eighth message looking at the two letters that the Apostle Peter sent to us. In the first letter, the, 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 which we finished last week, the focus was really on an attack without the church, without, outside the church. You and I believe in Jesus. We're trying to follow Jesus and the attack from outside that comes because of that. And so what Peter was giving us was a way to navigate that, not just to survive, but, but still to have some fun, to, to, to enjoy, to have purpose and, and really how to keep moving forward. Now in the second letter, there's a, there's a shift. We're actually still dealing with suffering But the suffering we're dealing with now is not what comes from outside the church, but what's happening inside the church. And there's a variety of ways, a variety of reasons that a church can suffer on the inside. But the way he's going to be dealing with in 2 Peter is because of ideas. The ideas that are building our individual lives, the ideas that are are building this church, these ideas can actually be quite destructive. Oh, hey, ideas can be very good and give us opportunity to advance and grow and to be better, even morally. But but ideas can also be very destructive. You know, the church has always been bombarded, ideas coming in, lots of ideas from the world, from each other. But it's interesting, on all the subjects that, that those ideas come in on, there are two in particular that have always bombarded the church. And those two ideas are around sex and sexuality and around authority, the authority of this book. That was true 2,000 years ago. It's true today. See if you can hear Peter bring up these ideas, these things that that come and, and that are going on, not on the outside, but that we're dealing with on the inside. So to go ahead and open your Bibles to Second uh, Peter, uh, as I say each time, the quickest way to get there, go to the end of your Bible, Revelation, back up a few pages, and you will be in Second Peter pretty quickly. Second Peter, and uh, as you've probably figured out by now as we go through this series, I'm reading the entire letters out loud. Have you all figured that out? I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily speak on or unwrap each verse, but I'm, I'm at least reading the entire letters out loud. Now, in the way I've broken that out, that gives us two readings that are really long readings. One of the long readings, the second longest reading, was about three weeks ago. The longest reading is about to happen in three seconds. Okay, so I'm just telling you, just buckle up. I know about every 10 verses we lose 30 people. Uh, it's just kind of the way it happens when somebody's just droning on and on and on. I, I, I get that. So hang on. There, you're you're going to see a lot. You're going to hear a lot thrown at you in what we're reading. So see, see if we can hang on to the very end. I should be done reading about 3.30. Okay, verse 1. 
This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith that we have. Isn't that kind of a neat thought? Just kind of a warm fuzzy? I, I have the same precious faith that Peter held on to. You have the same precious faith as the people he's writing to. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the One who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and escape, hold on to that word, escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. If you have your own Bible, you might want to write out next to verse 5, here's how I'm to be growing. Here are the words, the, the character qualities that are to be developing in my life. And, and we are to be growing. There's to be more of these words in my life today than there was last year. And there should be more next year than there is right now. We're to grow, we're to develop. Listen for the words growth and develop as we continue to read. Verse 8, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live, for our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. That's why we read these letters out loud. That's why we come to church to keep in front of us things we, we need to be careful not to forget. Peter was trying to get these things to you and me before he, he died. Verse 15, so I will work hard to make sure that you always remember these things after I'm gone. For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. When we received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice. Here appears, I saw, I heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You, may pay, you must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. 
Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Chapter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets. There's a lot of good ideas, but there's some bad ideas. But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get a hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. Does God condemn sin? Does God condemn evil? I don't know. I look around, and it, gosh, Lord, it sure seems like evil gets away with it a lot. It sure seems like bad ideas, sinful ideas, bad activities, sinful... Lord, it sure seems like it, it just goes on and you don't ever do anything about it. Peter says, let me give you three illustrations. Verse 4, for number 1, for God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell in gloomy pits of darkness where they, were being, where they are being held until the day of judgment. Number two, and God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, number three, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. You know, it's interesting. You go back to verse 1. It says, when I'm really growing in the Lord, that ultimately lands in a place where we love everyone. Well, how can you love everyone and be sick of shameful sin? I mean, which is it, Lord? Am I supposed to be sick and disgusted or am I supposed to love? You do both. I mean, I hate to be too cliche-ish here, but doesn't this go back to love the sin or love the sinner, hate the sin? That's the balance we have to walk. How do I love this person? How do I keep a door open to this person? But never, ever miscommunicate that love means everything you're doing, saying, and living is just fine. And that what you talk about false ideas, isn't that the idea not only in our world, but our church? Love, love means there is no actual sin. There is no actual wrong. Love means you just support everybody doing whatever. No, that's, that's not the case. Verse 8, yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final Judgment. Hey, there's been judgments, little J, along the way, but there is a final judgment that is coming. That is coming. These people, uh, he, verse 10, he is especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desire and who despise authority. What authority? The authority of this word. Verse, uh, verse uh, 11, but the angels... Uh, Excuse me, uh, back up in the middle of verse 10. These people are proud and arrogant, daring even to scoff at supernatural beings. That more than likely is 
bad angels, evil angels he's referring to there, without so much as trembling. But the angels, the good ones, the angels who are far greater in power and strength do not dare to bring from the Lord a charge of blasphemy against those supernatural beings or or bad angels. Verse 12, these false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed. They scoff at things they do not understand and like animals they will be destroyed. Their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. They commit adultery with their eyes and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin and they are well trained in their greed. They live under God's curse. They have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. These people are as useless as dried up springs or as a mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to blackest darkness. They brag about themselves with empty foolish boasting, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires. They lure back into sin those who've barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. For you're a slave to whatever controls you. And when people escape from wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they're worse off than before. It would have been better if they had never known the way of righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb. A dog returns to its vomit and another says a washed pig returns to its mud. Well, that's encouraging, isn't it? <laughs> a quick, okay, so a quick review. First Peter was written in 63 AD. And as you've heard me say, suffering was already going on. They're, they're, they're already being hammered with that. But if you were here the first week, the second week that we started that, I said, while they're dealing with suffering, it's about to get much worse. We know that historically. Well, Second Peter is written in 66 AD, and it's no longer about to get much worse. It is now much worse. That started in 64 AD with Nero becoming emperor. And Nero was arresting Christians by the thousands and killing them. The, the killing wasn't like, you know, you, you know, behind prison walls and some kind of form of, of execution. It was actually entertainment. I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with seeing in a movie the gladiators and, you know, those big coliseum where those gladiator fights took place. Well, you know, I, I guess gladiators had to have a halftime also, you know, go and get some Gatorade, get ready for the next fight. Well, guess what happened during halftime? They'd throw a bunch of Christians out in the middle of the coliseum and then they would release wild animals and the animals would tear them to pieces and eat them in front of a cheering crowd. They would burn them at the stake in front of a cheering crowd They would line them up and crucify them in front of a bloodthirsty, cheering crowd. As a matter of fact, it's in this exact environment. The man that I I hope you have, like I have, really come to love and appreciate. That's exactly how Peter was killed. He was killed in the middle of a coliseum to a cheering crowd as they went to crucify him. Tradition tells us that, that as they went to crucify him, Peter asked if they would turn the cross upside down. 
He didn't feel worthy to die the same way Jesus did. And they did. They turned the cross upside down and he hung there bleeding and, and, and dying in front of that cheering crowd. little historical trivia for you. The, the spot where he was crucified is the spot that the Vatican sits on today. But you know, as he's on that cross dying, do you kind of wonder, wonder what he was thinking? Is he thinking for the, for the glory of God, for the love of Jesus? Or is he thinking, God, where are you? This hurts. What's, what's he thinking? You know, I, I actually believe I know exactly what he was thinking. I think as he hung on that cross upside down, he's thinking about the day that Jesus will return in all his glory for the whole world to see. Because isn't that the idea that Peter planted in our mind over and over and over as we walk through the first letter? Isn't that the idea? He said, hey, listen, as you're navigating a world in which we suffer, a world in which we hurt, a world in which we're betrayed, a world in which we're attacked, as you navigate the difficulty of this day, keep your eyes on that day. So I'm confident that was the day he was looking at as he hung there on the cross. Ideas. Ideas can be our strength, they can be our purpose, they can be our motivation, and and, and ideas can be our downfall. Ideas can actually, what did it say there, make me little more than an animal. There can be ideas that put us on the moon, and there can be ideas that make us little more than, than an animal. And so no wonder now Peter comes in this letter saying, hey, listen, I'm warning you, you've got to know where your ideas are coming from. You've got to know what you're thinking and and building on. And what we want to build is a is a life like God, right? And so he starts off in second Peter chapter one, verse three, and he gives kind of a bold claim. You have everything you need to be just like God. Maybe you'll be just like God as an NFL quarterback or as a ballerina or as an accountant or as an electrician. Maybe you'll be just like God as a really poor person or as a really rich person. Maybe you'll be just like God, really healthy and strong. Maybe you'll be just like I'm really unhealthy. But you have every single thing you need to be just like God. And part of me says, praise the Lord. Another part of me says, There's been quite a few times I didn't feel like I had everything I needed. (laughs) What what is it that I have that's going to make me just like God? Well, in verse 3 and 4, he gives us two things. Number one, you have the opportunity to be in a relationship with God. You You have an opportunity to be his friend. Hey, think of the opportunities you have because of the friends you have. I'll bet somebody right now sitting in this room is, is going to be at, at the stadium this fall watching those Redskins moving their way to the Super Bowl. And, and, and you're going to be out there cheering them on. And do you know why you're going to be out there cheering them on? Because you have friends that have season tickets. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean Bet, bet everybody in here has been to a game because of what a friend had. Maybe sometime in the balance of this summer, you're going to be out at the beach taking one of those pictures of your toes. Why in the world do we do that? You know, toes are not. No, stop with the toe thing, okay? But you're going to be out there at the beach, and, you're, and why, why are you in that house? Because you have a friend that has a beach house. And isn't there a lot of things we do and enjoy because we have a, a friend? But 
I hate to sound like a song here, but think of what we have as a friend in Jesus. <laughs> Man, let's see, what does God have? Oh, all the power, all the wisdom, all the authority in the universe. God has everything. Pretty good warehouse to be attached to, right? That, that's, that, my God, my friend owns it all. That's what I have access to. And I don't have that because of what a good friend I am. I mean, folks, think about the friends you have. We, we pick friends because they're, they're like us. And that's somebody I think there's going to be some even trading with, right? I, I, I mean, there's got to be some kind of you scratch my back, I scratch yours. And we do this for each. You, you know, God's not offering us friendship because what we bring to the table, right? God's not saying, wow, you would... You would really just make life so much richer and more meaningful and, and deeper. You're, I mean, you're so good. You can do so much. Come on into a friend. No, no, we, not, not only do we not really make good friends, we're actually quite the opposite. Our sin makes us enemies. God didn't pick you because of all that you would bring. When God picked you, Romans 5, 8, God, so, uh, God demonstrated his love for you. And that while you were a sinner, while you were living in a way that was contrary to who he is, while you were living in a way that is an attack on who he is, he provided a way for you to become a friend. A matter of fact, Peter taught us that in 1 Peter three eighteen. It says that Jesus Christ once suffered for sins. He paid the penalty for my attack against God. He paid the penalty, the punishment for all the ways I'm so not like him. He, Christ once suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. It, it, it's Jesus that carries me into the room and says, you want this one as a friend. I paid for it. It's Jesus that carries us into that relationship. Has he carried you? Are you confident that, that you've made that decision, that you've stepped out in that faith? Are you confident that relationship has happened in your life? Man, if not, let today be the day it happens. Start praying and thinking about that right now. Hey, Lord, how, how do I have Jesus carry me into that relationship? Because that's one of the two things we have that means we have everything we need. The second thing we have in verse 4, it says we have His promises. And when it says his promises, it's not talking about, hey, turn to this page and we'll look at this promise. It's not talking about a specific promise. It's actually talking about the whole book. If you were to turn to Psalm 119, and you don't need to right now, a little bit of Bible trivia, Psalm 119, longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. I didn't read that one today. Uh, you would, if you turn to Psalm 119, you'd find a, a handful of words being repeated over and over and over and over. And those words would be like promises statutes, principles, commands, and all of these words are synonymous with what you and I call the Bible. These are words that the Bible uses to refer to the whole thing because in reality, this, this whole book is a promise. It's the story, think of this folks, it's the story of a promise that's being made to you as if you and I are somehow worthy of God making a promise to us. But he does. And so Peter says, hey, listen, you've got everything you need to become just like God. He's given you his promises. He's given you this book. And notice how that is explained in the rest of verse 4. By this book, by the what we learn in here, you have a way to become just like God. And you have a way to escape. Notice that word escape. You have a way to escape becoming like the world. You know, when I read that verse a couple of weeks ago, when I was, you know, preparing for today, you, you know, the, what the question that came to my mind is, is that my goal? 
Do, do, do I have a goal? Do, do you have a goal to be like God? Do you have a goal to not be like the world? Now, we're sitting in church on Sunday, so aren't most of us going to say, oh, yeah, I, I want to be like God, right? That's not a trick question, right? Yeah, I, w- I, want, I want to be like God. I do. But while that's what I know to say, and I do actually believe when I'm sitting in, in church, the reality is you and I go from Sunday to Saturday, Sunday to Saturday, Sunday to Saturday, and we have a lot of those Sunday to Saturdays that we don't think one bit about who we're like, right? I mean, as you walk through this week, how many times did you think, ah, what do I do right here that will make me most like the Lord? Hey, how, how would Jesus respond to this? What would Jesus... I mean, we go through a whole week and don't think even one time. And we probably don't think, oh, I'm trying to be like the world. The reality is, whether those are goals in our life or not, we just sweep through life without thinking about it at all. But here's the problem. Our default mode... In other words, the mode we're going in when we're not thinking about what our purpose is. Our default mode is the world. See, I can choose these words to move in growing like God, but I've got to escape. What does escape mean? Escape means somebody's got me, right? Escape means I'm, I'm trapped. I've got to escape becoming like the world. It's this book that is going to help me escape becoming like the world. If I'm not working, if I'm not choosing, not two or three times a year, folks, every day, all day long, if I'm not thinking, praying, working, choosing to be like God, your default mode is to move more and more like the world. Well, so what? Nobody's perfect. Well, I think we just read two chapters of so what? What is it? The goal to be like God is to be godly. To be like the world is to be ungodly. Second Peter chapter 2 has a really bad portrait of where the ungodly are heading. Second Peter chapter 2 has a, a really unpleasant future for the ungodly. But for the, for the godly, there is God. What did it say there? Cheering us, applauding us as we enter his glory and his kingdom. So I think that's something we want to... We want to get right. We want to build our lives on God's words and God's ideas. Now, that's a big thing to say this is, this is God's words and God's ideas. How, how, how do we know that? I mean, it's a book, right? Well, we get to verse 19 to 21. And, and 2 Peter 1, 19 to 21 are some of the most important verses in the whole Bible on what you and I hold in our hands and how it got here. How we, how we have what we have. Now, before we understand what is in 19 to 21, we got to kind of see what the, the evidence Peter is giving, if you will, in verses 16 to 18. He says, I'm getting ready to say something pretty profound and kind of life altering and changing. I want you to know the evidence by which I say that. You know, you, you're trying to have faith. You're trying to believe. Is there a God? Is he good? Is this his word? He says, Hey, listen, I've seen God. And he refers in verses 16 to 18 to Matthew 17. He refers to that story when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. Transfiguration, a big giant word. I think, I think what it means is that when they got up there, Jesus, Jesus took off his humanity. And for a brief moment, they got a glimpse of Jesus in his glory, in his deity. Nothing of humanity hiding who he really is. The scene kind of describes almost like an emotional breakdown. 
It was almost more than they could, they could grasp and they could take in. Not only, and think of the words we saw. He said, I saw, and then he said, I, I heard. I heard God the Father speak and say, this is my son. I heard, I saw, I'm telling you, I've seen God, I've heard God, and this is his word. And in everything in this book, this is what is right and what is true and what is good. And any idea, any thought that moves me away from this book is leading me to what is not right, what is not true, and what is not good. Because there are ideas out there that will destroy us. God's building us into, well, something that looks just like him. And steps into eternal glory to be rewarded like I'm Jesus. That's what this book wants to lead me to. And so Peter says, hey, here's the evidence I'm bringing. Not many people can say this. I've seen God. I've heard God. This is his word. Now, that's a lot to say about a book. I mean, this, this book spoke life 2,000 years ago. It speaks life today. There's no expiration date. That's a lot to say about this book. But it's not an ordinary book. And verses 19 to 21 begin to tell us what it is that we have and how it got here. Let me tell you what this is not. This is not a collection of spiritual thoughts by really spiritual people. That This book is not a collection of godly thoughts and ideas from some kind of heroes of the faith. That, that's not what this is. Every word, every idea in here is God's. And it is the Holy Spirit that brought it all together. All the different words and ideas. The different authors spread out over 1500 years. So that it is one story from the Lord. You know a lot of us in here will say I've never seen a miracle. That's ridiculous. You're holding one in your hand. This is a supernatural thing that you hold in your hand and how we got to it. And there is, every, every religion has a holy book. There is nothing that even remotely compares to what we have in the Bible. You know, if you take 10 people, as a matter of fact, let's make them all the same. Take 10 Southern Baptist pastors. Takes 10 Southern Baptist pastors, all living in 2018, all trained at the same seminary. And you have them write on 10 topics. You're going to be in shock. I mean, they're going to go different directions. One of them is going to, because we have some freedom. And, you know, when, you, when you're a Southern Baptist, you don't have to say, I believe exactly what some authority tells me. You, you build your beliefs. You build out of the God's word. And so you're going to, man, this one goes this way and that one goes that way. You'll even find, well, now wait a minute, they can't both be right. <laughs> both of their answers on number three actually contradict each other. You, you couldn't get agreement if you had ten people right on three subjects. If they were the same age, went to the same school and do the same thing. We have 40 authors here. Some of them rank as the wealthiest people that have ever walked on this earth. Some of them were dirt poor. Some of them were highly educated, some of the brightest minds of their day, and some of them were not educated at all. A couple of them actually they had no education here. They, they, they write in different languages. They write on three different continents. You think somebody in Africa looks at life differently than somebody in Asia? I'm not talking about who's right, who's wrong, just they have a different view on life, Right? They're going to understand and see God a little bit differently. These 40 authors are not all writing in the same year. They're spread out over 1,500 years. Do you think somebody that is walking on this earth in 518 A.D. sees life differently than somebody walking on it in 2018 A.D.? 
Do you realize how radically different and diverse these 40 writers that give us 66 books are? And yet when you open this book, not to see 10 subjects or 3 subjects, but hundreds of subjects, hundreds of controversial ideas. And yet when you open it from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, you have this one clear, consistent story. All kinds of themes, and yet it comes together. It doesn't read like it was put together by 40 people. It reads like it's one story from beginning to end. Consistent, clear, constant, not contradicting. How does that happen? Because the book you hold in your hand, just like Jesus, is 100% God and 100% man. And, and de- humanity being added to Jesus' deity did not introduce sin, did not introduce error into Jesus. Just like humanity being added to God's word didn't add sin, didn't add error. You know, when we say this is God's word, Isaiah, Moses, Peter, Paul, they're not taking mindless dictation. What was that last sentence, Lord? No, they're, they're writings. As a matter of fact, I would suggest, based on what's being explained here, there may have been times that Isaiah didn't even realize he was writing what was going to be called the Word of God. The Holy Spirit just guaranteed that it was. But their personalities, their experiences come through. There is humanity in this, but it is the Holy Spirit working, blowing, moving so that what we have here is God's word. The reason I say blowing, that that word used there in, in verse 21 really is the same word used of wind coming on ships. Now, you think about ships. Now, I'm not talking about like ships today. Those are all nuclear powered. <laughs> I'm talking about like the ships Peter would have been looking at. You go out to a harbor that Peter's looking at and and you're going to see big ships and and small ships and some are for fishing and some are for war, some are for cargo, some are for, for people, all different kinds of ships. But boy, they're dead in the water until the wind, until the wind gives them power, until the wind gives them direction. No matter what course they're going, the direction of the wind is going to determine how they get there and the route that it takes. It's the wind that determines where we end up. And the Holy Spirit came upon these 40 writers and guaranteed that when they were done writing and it was all pulled together, that what you and I hold in our hands is God's word and God's ideas for every generation, for every nation. This is God's word. Teachers and leaders will come and go, but God's word stands forever. Ideas will come and go. What society applauds and says is right will come and go. But God's word stands forever. And it is this word, it is these ideas that we filter our minds, we filter our ideas through. If we want to be like God. If we want to be counted as godly. And not with the ungodly. It's this book that determines What ideas are you building your life on? Nobody gets there by accident. Oh, wow, look, I didn't even know I was building on God's word. Nobody gets there by accident. We're, we're, We're making a choice to build on God's idea or words or the ideas of the world are building. And, and, and folks, being in church doesn't change that. The world has bombarded the church with its ideas and and the church and individual believers. And let's just be honest. We like being liked. I I don't want to be seen as stupid. 
I, I, I don't want to be seen as out of it. I mean, we actually live in a world right now in the United States of America where they're the keepers of morality and they're telling us how unloving we are. And we're trying to apologize for it. Ideas come and go. God's word. God's word. What are you trying to build? I want to be liked as much as the next person. I don't want to be seen as backwards more than anybody else. But it's God's word that's going to stand. It's these ideas that are right and true and good. It's a choice. It's a choice what you and I build our lives on. And it doesn't happen because we call ourselves by a name, Christian. It doesn't happen because we sit in a building periodically. It's a choice we make every single day, if that's our goal. If it's not our goal to be like God, or we just choose not to, I mean, that is your choice. I don't, I don't believe, like almost anything you just said, that is your choice. And there will be a day that determines whether that's true or not. What are you building? What ideas did you filter and work through this past week? It really matters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I, I thank you that only by your goodness, kindness, and your grace do I even have the opportunity to utter the sentence, God, I want to be like you. God, I want to I have a grand entrance into eternity. Oh, Lord, I can only say that because of you. And I can say that because of the ideas you've revealed through your word. I can say that because through Christ you've brought me spiritually alive. Oh, Lord, I would, I would pray for every one of us here today that we want to be like you. We see the value, the worth, the eternal value, the eternal worth of one purpose to be like you. And I thank you that you've given me everything I need to do that. Everything we need to do that through a relationship with Christ and through the Bible. And now, Lord, that you've given us everything we need, may we throw ourselves wholly on your warehouse. And may we enjoy what we have and what we can use because you're our friend. Oh, God, would every one of us be so careful to think just the next seven days, just to really practice, to think through every conversation, every article we read, everything we watch. Are those ideas leading me to be more like God or are they leading me to be more like the world? Spirit, you know we need your help. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.